Hey, it's Laurie from Hike, sharing stories that inspire us to explore, wander, and live. Today, I bring you The Long Trail. We get to speak to Green Mountain Club Executive Director Mike DeBonis, who talks about the beauty of the Vermont footpath in the wilderness. Did you know that The Long Trail is the oldest long-distance hiking trail in the United States? The Long Trail is 272 miles long, and it follows the main ridge of the Green Mountains from the Massachusetts-Vermont line to the Canadian border as it crosses Vermont's highest peaks. And one thing that I didn't know that I learned in our conversation today, it was the inspiration for the Appalachian Trail, which also runs with the long trail for 100 miles in the southern third of the state. Mike is a Vermont native and shares a deep-rooted love of the mountains. He also goes into some details about in 2017 how he did a through hike of the long trail and did it exactly as how someone would have done it in 1917. Like that's just amazing. So look forward to sharing that piece of the conversation with you as well. And actually today as I release this episode Mike is speaking as part of the Green Mountain Club's James P. Taylor a speaker series about his own summit of Denali. So I hope if you're listening in the Vermont area that you go and check Mike out and stop in and learn more about your Green Mountain Club and the Long Trail. And for all my listeners, I know you will enjoy this conversation today and I look forward to hearing from you. Let me know if you've hiked the Long Trail and what you loved about your hike on it. Mike will tell us about his favorite spots on the Long Trail, but I look forward to hearing from you as well. So let's take a listen to my conversation with Mike DeBonis, Executive Director of the Green Mountain Club. All right, so I am here with Mike DeBonis. Thank you, Mike, for joining me today. Yes, great to be here. So tell me a little bit about you. Tell me about your role with the Green Mountain Club. Yeah, so I'm the Executive Director of the Green Mountain Club, which uh, means I do everything from raising money for the annual budget to cleaning the bathrooms, your your classic, typical executive director role. Uh, I grew up here in Vermont, uh, where the Green Mountain Club is based, and spent my time as a, as a young kid out hiking on the trails and doing a lot with scouting. So I had a really early exposure to the trails and, and hiking opportunities in Vermont, and then uh, had an opportunity to come and work for the GMC, which is really a dream for me and it's been a real pleasure to be able to serve and maybe get back to the resource that I benefited from a lot. So I think um, probably people, especially on the East Coast or that are uh, well-versed in kind of the hiking community know about the Green Mountain Club, but for people who may be, you know, not as in tune, can you give us a little bit of a background on who you are and how you got started and kind of um, maybe even a little bit of, of, I guess, the legacy of the GMC. Yeah. So really the story of the GMC, the Green Mountain Club, is really the story of the long trail. And the Green Mountain Club started in 1910. And it was started by a man named James Taylor, not the musician James Taylor, but a, a different James Taylor. And he had this vision for connecting people to the outdoors. And his vision for that was was doing it through hiking to really explore the mountains. And so he had this idea for a long distance hiking trail along the spine of the Green Mountains. And he 
uh, was a great organizer, uh, really a visionary. He pulled together leaders within the state of Vermont uh, and really got behind this idea of promoting the state, promoting the outdoors, connecting people to nature through hiking and, and, and by building this trail. And the club in the early days, it was all volunteer run. Uh, there were these different chapters that were responsible for building a particular piece of trail. And over a period of, of 20 or 30 years, uh, the trail was eventually built and it was the first long distance hiking trail in the United States. And it connected the Massachusetts border uh, to the Canadian border and had a 273 mile trail along the spine of the Green Mountains. It was really the, the first one of its kind or is at least the oldest one of its kind in, in the nation. So the Long Trail is older than the Appalachian Trail? Yeah, so the the Appalachian Trail is, is actually part, or the Long Trail and the Appalachian Trail share a portion of the footpath in Vermont for about 100 miles. Okay. But the Appalachian Trail came in uh, a little bit later uh, than the Long Trail. And interesting, Benton Mackay, who is the person that came up with the idea is really the, the father of the, of the Appalachian Trail, had the idea when he was on the long trail in Vermont. And really this concept of a long distance hiking trail, Benton really expanded that to what's now the AT and that whole idea of, of connecting people with nature and, and really providing a, a relief valve for modern society through hiking. That's interesting because I didn't know that, that it, that was he was on the long trail when he was thinking up that idea. So that's interesting. Yeah, we have uh, some folks in our in our sections that still count the Appalachian Trail as a side trail, which uh, <laughs> it's, it's clearly not. Yes. So speaking of so that gives the question of, uh, I guess, blazing. What kind of uh, blazes does a long trail have? Is it uh, white blazes? What color? Just interest, interested to know. Yeah, so it's it's white blazes on the the long trail proper. So the 273 mile long trail is all white blazes, and then there's side trails. There's about eh, a little less than 200 miles of side trails, and those are blue blazed. But the the blazing's really changed over time. And in, in the early days, the trail was built by local sections or local chapters, and they all kind of did it their own way. So uh, instead of white blazes, you would have the tops of soup cans that were painted red or blue and other people uh, would make metal arrows or have, have other things to, to designate the trail. And over the years it's become more consistent and now it's just marked with white blazes. So has the long trail always had the same, I guess, starting and end or the, the terminus areas or has it changed through the years? It's changed quite a bit. I think in the early days, the the vision was just to get it done. And so at that time, and turn of the century, around 1910, the the builders of the trail were looking at where there were existing uh, woods roads and, and existing trails that they could link up to, and then old you know, forest fire trails or forest warden trails. And so in the early days, the trail followed a lot of roads, and it was a, a lower elevation trail. And then as time went on, the trail changed and the, the ultimate vision was to have this to be a high mountain kind of wilderness trail. And so over the years, the the alignment of the trail changed. So where it had been maybe located on a lower elevation was moved up high. And there was also a long period of, of land protection work to protect the trail corridor. So as land was 
purchased or conserved, uh, the trail would be moved on to a, a more permanent basis. And it's really changed a lot in the South. It's almost like an alluvial fan of, of, of trails as, as it's moved over time. And then as the trail moved up North, it, it relatively remained the same. It went over the, the major summits in the state. Uh, but we, even today, we, we change the trail a little bit every year, trying to improve it, uh, find a better alignment, uh, improve environmental quality, those sorts of things. So how much foot traffic does uh, the Long Trail see? Is it uh, something that year-round people are um, out there making use of? Yeah, there's the trail is maintained for three-season use, but people use it all, all year-round. It's cold and snowy. It's about five degrees outside here in Vermont, and people will be out today. Uh, the technology is so much better now than it was in the early days of the trail, so really you can get out there uh, all seasons. Um, yeah. So is it a technical, I guess when you were talking about going over some of the mountains and kind of following the, the spine of the Green Mountains, is it, are, are those, any of them technical summits? Um, I guess thinking of if I were to, especially considering, I guess, the time of year, if I were wanting to go out during the wintertime, um, am I, you know, getting crampons and snowshoes? What, what's it like? Yeah, so it's not technical. You don't need ropes or climbing okay. gear, but uh, there are there are different degrees of difficulty. So there are definitely sections uh, where you're up on a rocky, exposed summit, and you'll encounter ice and, and deep snow. And uh, in most cases, some sort of traction should be used, like a micro spike or something like that. On some of the high peaks, I've definitely used crampons before. I was just on Camel's Hump, which is very popular 4,000 footer, which is a, a big, big mount for us uh, in the state. And it was, it was a ribbon of ice. It was all ice. And I had micro spikes on, but really wish I had had crampons that day. But, but most of it you can do with snowshoes if there's deep snow or some sort of traction and, and trekking poles, something like that. Okay. So you talked about, uh, it was camel's hump. Is that the mountain that you just mentioned? Yeah. Is, so is that, I guess you said that's one of the most popular kind of sections or hikes to do. If someone was, you know, coming to Vermont and you wanted to kind of show them, you know, here's a little bit of the long trail, what are some trail heads and uh, different trails, you know, or sections of trail that you would point them to? Yeah, when I think of the long trail, I kind of think of it in kind of two different pieces. There's the southern part, which is really characterized by green, kind of rolling mountainous summits and in, in a variety of, of ponds. And there's a lot of water. And I think it's really characterized by uh, passing these mountain lakes and ponds. And so uh, a great place in the southern part of the trail would be uh, to go to uh, Stratton Pond, which is this beautiful backcountry pond. It's great swimming, ecologically diverse. And it's, take a couple day hike and, and go over Stratton Mountain. There's a fire tower on top. You can look down upon the pond and then go camp by the pond and then make your way north or south from there. And as you get further north, you start to get into the higher mountains. And uh, a great favorite is, um, I think my favorite one is Mount Abraham, which is uh, just on one end of the Monroe skyline. And it's this long ridge line with a bunch of ski areas on it, but it has these open views to Lake Champlain to the west and the White Mountains to the 
to the east and you hit multiple 4,000 foot peaks and you get a lot of payoff for, uh, for your effort. And I think it, both of those, the ponds in the south and, and the high peaks in the north really give you a flavor of, of hiking in Vermont and the different elements of the long trail. Oh, that sounds really, really beautiful. So you were saying it's it's over 270 miles, right? Yeah, 273. So makes, oh, go ahead. 273? Yes. Okay, so that seems, um, so I would think that some people might do that as a through hike as well, if they're, you know, maybe not going to do, you know, like the AT or one of the, the bigger trails, but they're looking to, you know, especially some of us who don't get as much time off work, but trying to piece some things together. Do you see a lot of people uh, doing through hikes of the long trail? Yeah, there's about 300 folks that that register their hike every year. And uh, there's probably more people that do it, but you can register your hike and become an end-to-ender, an official end-to-ender, and you get a patch and a certificate from the Green Mountain Club. And so about 300 folks register a year. And then there's probably a few hundred thousand more that hike the trail uh, just as a day hike or or visit certain sections of it. One of the interesting things about the long trail, one of the things I like the best is that it's a totally free, open public resource. You don't have to register. You don't have to pay anything uh, to hike on it. And and so you can really just go out if you want to go out, which is nice. It It makes it hard to track who's out there. We use trail registers and we use um, field staff on summits and ponds to count visitors and at our overnight sites. Uh, and so we estimate about 200,000, but there's probably more than that. And then for the end and enders, as I said, there's about 300 that send in their certificates for their hike each year. So when you talk about people that are spending maybe extended time on the trail, what's the camping situation like? Is there shelters? Is there primitive camping? Or I guess, how, how does the camping along the trail work? It, it's definitely characterized by established overnight sites. I think that was one of the elements that really kind of made the long trail what it was in the early days. There was this element of, of hospitality, and people don't necessarily think of that immediately when you think of backcountry camping. But uh, in 1910 and early 1900s, there was this idea of, of hospitality, so making sure that there was a roof over one's head. And in the early days, the shelters all had wood stoves and pots and pans and beds and those sorts of things. Uh, those are long gone now, but the shelters remain and, and there's a mix of them. There's your traditional three-sided Adirondack style lean-to with an open front, but then there's also lodges and camps that are four-sided. Uh, we still have a few wood stoves out there, uh, but many of them are, are primitive in the sense that it's a structure with maybe an area for sleeping and hopefully a covered area to get out of the rain and and people that camp there, they'll bring their camp stoves and their food, and and it's all just done on a first-come, first-served basis. And throughout the whole system, there's about 60 overnight sites, and our oldest shelter is just coming up on its 100-year anniversary. It's Taft Lodge on Mount Mansfield, which is the highest peak in Vermont, and it's a log structure that's been serving the hiking community uh, for almost a century, which is amazing. So you had mentioned that they're first come, first serve, because I was going to ask, and are these sections, because I was trying to think of, you said part of the trail shares with the AT. So I would think those would become pretty popular during the time of year when people are coming through, whether it's the northbound or, or the southbound uh, hikers. 
So do you tend to see those shelters fill up pretty readily during that season? We do in, in the, you know, the core hiking season, June through September, the, the shelters in the really popular areas in, in Vermont, that's the southern part with the AT and the Long Trail share the same footpath. Those shelters will fill up pretty well. Uh, the way that the overnight sites are structured on the Long Trail is that there should be at least one site within a, a reasonable day's hike. And so that was built on a six to eight mile, uh, six to eight mile time or distance frame. And, and so there are multiple options usually for an overnight, overnight site. So that's able to uh, distribute some of the use. And then there's also some primitive camping and then tent camping at a lot of the established sites. So if the shelter's full or you don't want to stay in a shelter, uh, there's opportunities for folks to camp. And again, the technology is so good now that folks uh, can, many folks carry tents and or hammocks and are able to use the designated sites that have backcountry privies, uh, well, well-built privies and maintained privies and um, in, in water sources. So for you personally, since uh, you're also, um, you know, enjoy hiking since you were, um, like you said, a kid and going through the scouts and everything, how often are you getting out onto the to the trail or yeah i get out quite a bit i i do it because i enjoy it but i also do it because it's part of the job and i i don't think you can uh manage the resource if you don't if you don't know who's using it and what they think of it so i try to get out uh, a few times a week hiking i did have an opportunity to hike the whole long trail a couple of years ago and it was the second time that I've done it. And that was just an amazing experience to just really put it into perspective, uh, all the work that goes into maintaining it and then how people use it. And um, kind of was was a nice way to to see everything from, from fundraising to trail work um, come to fruition. So I got to ask, too, are people surprised when they meet you on the trail and, and you know, kind of you, you actually maybe have that conversation where you – let them know, you know, who you are and and uh, your relation to to the trail itself. A little bit. I, at first, you know, I people would come up and they they offer suggestions, and now I start carrying a notebook because <laughs> folks would like, let me tell you about this, and there's always some like interesting bit of information, and uh, yeah, so I think it's great when you're out there and and people are able to interact with a volunteer or a staff member that that works for the club. Uh, they can provide feedback, but there's also a, a connection between those that are using the resource and those that are maintaining it. Uh, yeah, so I, I definitely carry a notebook now and jot everything down. And you were saying how you did uh, your own through hike, so and how that put it all in perspective. But what else did you maybe take away from that experience? Was there something that surprised you at all, or or just that you were able to come away with? Well, I did a kind of a different kind of hike. So I've, as I said, I've been hiking since I was a kid and I've been collecting long trail guidebooks since I was a kid. So the first guidebook came out in 1917 and in 2017, we had the hundredth anniversary edition. And so I had this idea of, well, maybe I'd, I'd hike the long trails if it was 1917. Ah. So I researched it. I made my own uh, ash pack basket. I uh, made a, a tarp like they would have in in the early 1900s and used the food recommendations from the 1917 guide and had all the clothing from that era, including wool knickers and heavy leather boots. And 
So I, I had a bit of a different experience in, in just hiking it as if it was a hundred years ago. But I think the thing I took away from that was even though the equipment is different, even though, uh, the, the guidebook is different, the hiking experience is relatively the same. I don't think that's changed that much. The, the people are relatively the same when you're out there on the trail, everyone's experiencing the same terrain and in the cold, wet weather and the bugs and it doesn't really matter uh, what kind of gear you have or how fancy your jacket is. Everyone's out doing the same thing. And I, I really like the, the continuity of, of the hiking experience. Yeah, I like that too, what you said about not really, it doesn't really matter, you know, not to get hung up on the gear or, yeah. you know, what, what you're bringing out there, as long as you have your essentials and really, you know, are practicing, you know, great hiking, you know, hiker safety it really is the trail is an equalizer. In that it way. Is. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. I find it interesting that uh, the first guidebook you said was put out in 1917, right? And then you took the 20 or there was the hundred year edition. Um, what are some resources for hikers that the Green Mountain Club, I guess, puts out and then is able to, to help with anyone who's either interested in just spending a day out there or, you know, a few weeks? Yeah, so we have the Long Trail Guidebook, which is really your your best resource for uh, all of the information, detailed information about the trail. Uh, it's broken up into different sections and the overnight sites and, and towns and everything you need to, to do a through hike of the Long Trail or go out for the day, you can get in the guide. But in addition to that, the Green Mountain Club has a number of other publications. We have day hikers guides and winter hiking guides, and we have uh, paper maps, and then we also have digital maps that you can use on your mobile device, and uh, and then other guides like an end to ender's guide, which is a a smaller book that has just the detailed information uh, to hike and and for the towns to do mail drops, and it's uh, more of a a data book for uh, for doing an end to end hike. And so we try to be the go to source of information for hiking in Vermont, and particularly the Long Trail and and try to provide information to folks in different ways. And, and that includes paper products and, and digital resources through uh, online maps or digital maps and, and online resources through the website. And you had mentioned earlier about trail maintenance. And I was wondering, is the club responsible for coordinating the entire uh, maintenance for the trail? Are there, how, do you, how do you get all of that you know, to happen? Yeah, it's it's definitely a collaborative effort. So the the Green Mountain Club has the responsibility for maintaining and protecting the Long Trail, but we don't do it alone. Uh, much of the trail is is owned by someone else. The Green Mountain Club owns very little of it. Uh, a lot of it's on public land, federal land, and state land, and municipal and, and private land. And it's through agreements with those landowners that uh, we're able to have the trail, and then. The trail itself is largely maintained by volunteers. That was the model used in the early days, and it's still the model today. Those early chapters that built the trail now are sections that maintain it. And so there's thousands of volunteers that go out every year and, and do everything from clearing water bars and blowdowns to packing in uh, bark mulch for the backcountry privies uh, to working in the office and helping us with member mailings. It's really a volunteer driven process that's then balanced by uh, 
seasonal and professional staff, and then our partners that uh, own own the trail. I think that's an important point too that you mentioned that uh, the volunteers have a variety of roles. So someone who may not uh, may not want to be doing you know the heavy use of tools and, and things like that, but they you know can help you with member mailings or help you know with any of the other kinds of administrative things that also need to get done. It sounds like there's a variety of ways to give back. Yeah, and I think the nature of volunteerism is changing and people's lives are so busy. And I think it's hard for some folks to be able to commit to maybe doing something every week or or on a routine schedule. So we try to have opportunities for folks that maybe want to get out there and, and give back, but maybe can't uh, be on a board or be in a really established volunteer role, but maybe they can go out and clear a section of trail or go monitor a, a property or, uh, or come into the office for a day. And I think as a nonprofit organization managing a public resource, you have to be adaptable and meet people where they are. And people volunteer in different ways, and I think they connect with the resource in different ways, and you, you have to adjust. And you mentioned about, I mean, you said about member mailing. So tell me a little bit about uh, becoming a member. What does that do, and how does that help support the Long Trail? Yeah, so we've got uh, a little less than 10,000 members, and these are folks that um, provide an, an annual membership fee. It's uh, $45, and there's different levels. Uh, and this is money that goes right back into supporting the work of the club. Uh, as a member, you get discounts on publications. You get uh, you get to stay at our, our staffed sites in the backcountry for free, uh, and and you also get discounts at at cabin rentals. Uh, and then there's also just a sense of of camaraderie and uh, giving back to the trail resource. We have uh, 14 different sections or chapters. And these, as I mentioned, these are the folks that maintain the trail, but they also do social events and, and outings and give back to the community. So I think there's lots of different ways for folks to get involved and, and be a member and, and give back to the resource that um, they benefit from. And then even if, you know, someone who's not living in Vermont um, and maybe can't do like member meetings and, or things like that with the local sections, they can still be a member, right? Yeah, so there's there's section membership, but then there's at-large membership, and most of our money comes from private donors. So folks that use the trail will will support the club through membership and donations, and that's really the engine that that drives it. So we have folks that are members from all over the country, uh, internationally. People come to Vermont and will will hike, maybe a, do a through hike, but most of the folks just are out for a day or or out for a little bit, and uh, always try to be able to connect them back. And we do a quarterly magazine. Uh, we've been doing it for almost a hundred years called the long trail news. And that gets mailed out to all of our members and supporters. And uh, we put editions of that online. So it's a way uh, that in addition to all of our social media feeds, it's a way for folks to maybe stay connected to the long trail, even if they aren't able to get out there and hike on it. Is there someone who kind of helps like as a historian, do you have things in the archives from all all of those years, I was just curious to see what you had uh, protected, I guess, and kind of saved. And I don't know if you had anything on display. Yeah, so we have a our headquarters is in Waterbury Center, Vermont, which is kind of the center of the state, uh, right near Stowe and the Mount Mansfield and ski areas. And 
we have a historical archive here uh, with materials dating back uh, to the beginning of the club in, in 1910. And then many of the sections also have archives. And, and then some of the information is also housed at uh, the University of Vermont, the, the big public university here, and also the Vermont Historical Society. Uh, and I think the club's done a really nice job of, of keeping information in, in those, some of those early publications that talked about we have a hundred years of, of publishing. So we have many of, of those documents and even early maps and guidebooks are kind of a nice uh, nice way to look back and see what Vermont was like back at the turn of the, of the last century and, and certainly what hiking was like. And folks that come to the headquarters are able to, to look at those and, and, and see some of the history of the club. Uh, no, that's really cool. I, when I was looking out at your website, which is greenmountainclub.org, I really thought it was interesting how you have been doing uh, for almost 30 years now, a speaker series. Can you tell me a little bit more about the James P. Taylor Outdoor Adventure Series and what that's about? Yeah, so it's an annual speaker series that we do. Uh, it started out with the idea of, of trying to do something in the winter when uh, folks, not as many folks are out hiking, uh, doing other things, skiing, really trying to keep that that spark or that spirit of adventure alive and get people motivated for getting out and enjoying the outdoors. So it was this this idea to, to do a speaker series kind of in, in honor of James P. Taylor, the founder of the trail. And it covers a variety of topics. Uh, it's just starting up here. Actually, our first one is is tonight uh, on the 20th of December. And, and it's a woman who is a former staff member, and she just set the unsupported female fastest known time on the long trail last season. And she's going to talk about that. And then we have other folks that will share their experiences on other trails, the John Muir Trail in California or, or other trails around the, around the country and the world. We have local folks come in to talk about uh, natural history, so geology of the Green Mountains, um, the history of the and habitat of the of the loon, and then we have a woman who's going to be doing a, a talk about her winter hiking of the Long Trail. She did the whole Long Trail in winter, not in one stretch, but uh, over a period of years, and we'll share that experience. So I think it's just kind of a cool way to get people interested in the outdoors and and learn about different things, and hopefully uh, it motivates people to get out on the trail and maybe try something different. And I see you're also going to be speaking about your own experiences. Yeah. So I <laughs> was fortunate enough to uh, climb uh, Denali, Mount Denali last uh, June and have some good photos from the trip. And I'm going to share that experience. I, I was able to train for that, that climb in Vermont here on the long trail. I spent all winter hiking and uh, can can share some nice comparisons between uh, being cold on <laughs> Mount Denali, Alaska and being cold in Vermont. Uh, cold is cold, I think, yes. in a lot cold. of ways. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, and I'll definitely put a link out in my show notes. Like you said, the series does go through the winter, so people can maybe, according to your schedule, be able to, at least if they're in the area, try to hit one of them. Yeah. Okay. So what are some other ways? We talked about the membership. We talked about volunteering with the sections, donating. Um, what are some other ways people can support the Green Mountain Club and the Long Trail? 
Yeah, I think the the biggest way is is through through membership and uh, in, in supporting the club financially, but but really it's I think getting out there and we depend so much on volunteers for for our work. But I also think it's important, you know, if you're not volunteering for the Green Mountain Club, there are so many hiking trails and there are so many natural resources wherever you live and maybe just taking the time to give back, whether it's going out and, and doing a trail cleanup day, uh, even a day's work on a local trail uh, can make a huge difference. And it's, I think, so important for the folks that use the resource to to give back and maintain it, not only for them, but for, for future generations. And yeah, so I would just put a, a, a general shout out there for, for general volunteerism. Uh, even a day makes makes a huge difference. Well, I totally agree with you. I think with all the time that all of us spend on trails, if we can at least just spend one day a year somehow, you know, even if it's just with our local trail yeah. doing, you know, one thing that really does make a difference. Mike, I, I really appreciate you being with me this morning, being able to uh, give me some insight into the long trail. I personally have not been to Vermont. It is on my list, so I'm hoping uh, to get out there to uh, Vermont and be able to see this firsthand and, and get my own feet on the trail soon. Yeah, well, uh, when you come to Vermont, stop by in Waterbury, and uh, we provide information here uh, for free for folks on, on where to hike. And uh, yeah, Vermont's just a, a great resource, and hopefully folks listening will get a chance to come out here and experience the Long Trail in the Green Mountains. Thanks again for joining me today. Please check out the show notes for links of how you can learn more about the Green Mountain Club and the Long Trail. And of course, to connect with me. I'm always looking to hear from listeners and to learn more about what you're liking about the show and what else you want to hear about. If you're looking for some ways to help me out in supporting the show, here's what you can do. You can leave me a five-star review, share this out on social media, and also, if you want to give me a couple bucks, buy me a coffee, you can go out to Patreon. I have a Patreon account. It's www patreon.com slash like podcast. I'll send you some hike stickers, give you some bonus content, maybe even a postcard, lots of fun stuff out there um, to give you a special thank you for being a show supporter. Links to connect with me are in the show notes. You can find me at the hike podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and email hikepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time. See you on the trail.